The US economy grew at an annual pace of almost 5% in the September quarter. And the European Central Bank has stopped raising interest rates overnight for the first time in 11 decisions. Bond investors are happier with all of this, but stock investors aren't. That's coming up in our five things in five minutes. And then in our bonus deep dive interview, ANZ's head of G3 Economics, Brian Martin, explains why US government spending is getting more traction with the US economy these days and with interest rates globally. As growth stays stronger, the real equilibrium interest rate in the US economy stays higher than it was in the past. So it puts a floor at a higher level under US interest rates, therefore under global interest rates. But first, in 5 and 5 with ANZ, number one, bond investors reacted well to the two big news events overnight. US economic growth was at almost 5%, but that's in line with the Fed's view that it will slow down from here. And the European Central Bank paused rates, as expected. The US 10-year bond yield fell 10 basis points to 4.84% this morning. Stocks, though, aren't so happy. The Nasdaq's down 2% around 5 a.m. Australian time, and the S&P 500 is down 1%. One of the reasons they're bad results from Meta, which owns Facebook, and UPS didn't help stock markets either with its outlook. Here's Brian Martin, though, on why bond markets rallied. It was very much buy the rumor, sell the fact that the market was expecting a strong number. And the confirmation of ECB rate pause uh, was also expected. Uh, but I think the guidance from Lagarde at the margin was really saying, look, we're probably done as far as rate rises are concerned. We just need to hold now. And I think the fixed income markets uh, on both sides of the Atlantic uh, welcomed that messaging. Number two, the US economy grew at an annual rate in the September quarter of 4.9%, which was faster than the official market consensus of 4.5%. However, much of that strength was expected. Here's Brian. The economy is firing on all cylinders. All components of domestic demand really strong. And that is great news for the economy. It's great news for the labour market and for employment. But it does mean that the Fed are going to have to hold these interest rates high for a long time in order to be able to bring growth back down to more sustainable levels. Number three, the European Central Bank held its official rates overnight for the first time in 11 meetings, and President Christine Lagarde insisted they would stay up there for a while. Here's Brian. President Lagarde, in her press conference, did signal that the focus now is really turning to how long interest rates need to stay at current levels rather than increasing interest rates again. The ECB will do whatever is required to get inflation back down to target. But she did point to some really quite encouraging signs, noting that the transmission of policy tightening to the real economy is happening very fast, that there's clear evidence that higher interest rates are weighing on demand, uh, that there has been a marked improvement in inflation. Number four, now back into our time zone. The South Korean economy is proving to be more resilient than anticipated, providing some comfort for the Bank of Korea in retaining their current hawkish stance. Here's ANZ's Asia economist, Crystal Tan. So in Q2, growth was driven by a sharper fall in imports relative to exports. But this time around, all the major indicators showed signs of improvement and it was exports that led the way. Number five, all eyes in Asia-Pacific trading today will be on the yen this morning, which is still below that key red line 
for potential intervention by Japanese authorities, 150 yen to the dollar. The US dollar remains strong against a range of other currencies too. The Aussie dollar is bouncing off its lows this morning and is at 63.21 US cents, while the Kiwi is also firming from its overnight trough. It's at 58.24 US cents. Now it's time for our bonus deep dive interview. Brian Martin has noticed US government spending is getting much more traction in the economy and with interest rates than in the pre-COVID era. It's all about the spending being direct into the economy and into the US economy on US stuff, rather than through tax cuts that used to be spent on imports. Quite often when you get tax cuts in the economy, that leaks out uh, through consumption and through imports, and in many ways benefits other economies, China, Asia, Europe, could be significant beneficiaries of that, as indeed would other countries in North America. Uh, but when you spend domestically, that tends to boost the level of uh, economic activity. And one of the key things we are seeing in, in the US under the Buy America Act, which came in in 2021, is that with respect to government procurement of goods or services, there is a higher domestic uh, content. So at the moment, I think it's 60 or 65 percent, and, and it's rising gradually over time, of uh, the cost of uh, US procurement has to be sourced in the United States. And that's up from levels in the 50s a few years ago. So, so they're really trying to ensure that when the government spends money, it does benefit the American citizen and the American economy. And how important is defence spending and climate spending in all of this? When we look at the GDP numbers we had out today, federal spending on defence was really very strong. So there's a big channel going into that, and the geopolitical environment at the moment is very much supporting that too. But you did mention uh, climate, and that's very important. I think nearly 100% of the steel content of climate spending in the United States, as far as the government is concerned, uh, needs to be produced in America. And the domestic content uh, of other components that go into, you know, building solar panels, building in wind turbines, uh, that's got to have a rising uh, domestic content. At the moment, I think it's about 20 or 25%. But quite quickly over the next few years, that's expected to climb to about 50 to 55%. So again, that spending uh, from the government, which is planned at about 380 billion US dollars, should have a significant impact on staying in America rather than leaking out through imports overseas. So what does this mean for the rest of the world economy and for US monetary policy? Because it sets the interest rate base for so many other parts of the world and that um, US dollar is such a dominant feature of the global financial system. Well, I think fiscal policy now, uh, particularly public investment, is a really key support for economic growth. As growth stays stronger, the real equilibrium interest rate in the US economy stays higher than it was in the past. So it puts a floor at a higher level under US interest rates, therefore under global interest rates. But I think there's bigger things at play here as well. We've just come out of the pandemic. It was a massive shock to the global economy. Um, And we're seeing globally, uh, not just in the States, but in Europe, a real preference uh, for when it comes to critical industries, really shoring up economic security. There's a trend towards onshoring or friendshoring 
began to try and support uh, economic security. And we have seen this coming through in the US CHIPS Act, in the European CHIPS Act. Economists want to make sure that were there to be another really unfortunate event like the pandemic, uh, that they're going to be able to manage it better and that the supply chains they have for critical industries are a bit more secure than they have been in the past. So that's leading to a greater domestic focus. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're seeing a higher US content in US fiscal policy when it comes to government procurement. And the bottom line here from an Australian, New Zealand, Asia-Pacific point of view seems to be that it means slightly higher interest rates than we might have expected for slightly longer? That's absolutely right. But I think you have to look at the financing structures of some of these economies. In the United States, there's an awful lot of money raised on capital markets. So when bond yields are higher in the States, that does have an impact on uh, the cost of capital to firms. Slightly different elsewhere, they, in Europe, for example, companies tend to raise much more from banks. So they're not as affected by the rise in long-term interest rates as their US counterparts may be. ANZ's Head of G3 Economics, Brian Martin there. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was 5 and 5 with ANZ for Friday, October the 27th. For a great weekend, catch you on Monday with a preview of a week ahead that will include a Fed decision on Wednesday night and non-farm payrolls on Friday night after the All Blacks win the Rugby World Cup. This podcast contains general information only, not investment advice. You should obtain advice for your personal circumstances before making any investment decisions. Please view the podcast disclaimer available via your media player or email.